The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, everyone. Hi, welcome. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome to the Visual Workplace on this beautiful fall afternoon here in Portland, Oregon. And you are coming into my house. In my house, the workplace speaks. In my house, the walls speak, the the uh, the floors speak, the cabinets speak, everything speak. It's not really true. <laughs> That's what I want for the workplace. But really, in a home, we just make it comfortable, we make it easy, we make it beautiful. And we don't worry about functionality that much, except maybe in the kitchen. But in the visual workplace, we embed our intelligence, the highest level of intelligence that we have, into the living landscape of work. And we let it tell us what to do because we designed it to do so. We have intentionally put information, embedded information, into the living landscape of work so that that information is there at point of use when and as we need it, whenever we need it, whoever we are. It tells us what, it tells us where, it tells us when and how many and how long, it tells us how and how much. It gives us the answers that we need as we need it so we can do, to quote my great friend Rick L., a wonderful machinist, master machinist at Denison, Denison Hydraulics where he made the components of high-precision hydraulic pumps. We do that so that we can do the dance of work. So we simply come to work and we flow. We do the dance. The struggle has disappeared, has evaporated because we have made it disappear by embedding information, by removing the information deficits that create so much struggle little tiny bits of information that you would not think would make such a difference just because they aren't there, but it does. And it grinds at us. It erodes our confidence in ourselves, our confidence in others, our confidence in the systems of our company and in the company itself. And we begin to shrink when we have to struggle that much, when the information is so, tiny bits of information is so hard to come by. We begin to shrink, we shrink in scope, we shrink in hope, and we become much, much smaller versions of ourselves. That In that kind of a workplace, it's very hard to get cultural alignment because there's nobody there. Everybody is shrunk to this tiny, tiny size because there's too much struggle and we just do our work very narrowly. It's a very sad state of affairs that 
is so easily solved, removed, disappeared by workplace visuality. And that is the purpose of workplace visuality. The gains that we gain are on an individual level, but they roll up to tremendous enterprise-wide benefits. Okay, from the micro to the macro, gazoom really, really fast. So welcome to the show. I'm really glad to be here. Really glad. And today uh, we are going to be continuing our series on how to become a brilliant visual workplace trainer. I have just a couple of announcements. One, I do want to announce that we are going to be doing a visual thinking, visual workplace, visual thinking seminar on Monday, December the 9th here in Portland, Oregon. We're going to be at the Embassy Suites, which is right on the airport property, so it'll be easy for you to fly in if you have to. It's a really, really nice hotel, but if you do, uh, if you do have to stay overnight, they have uh, wonderful arrangements with uh, free internet and a uh, reception at night um, so you can relax and eat their free food and drink their free drinks. It should be very, very nice. I hope you can come. On the second day, we're going to be showing, we're going to be doing our visual leadership seminar. The, the, these two I did in Regina, Canada just uh, about a month ago. And uh, they're very, very strong, pretty densely packed um, seminars. The first one gives you the model for visuality, walks you through the 10 doorways, gives you a whole set of principles and practices that will give you a sense of why the visual workplace is different and how to implement. It is not a training in implementation, but it will give you the principles of implementation and lots and lots of principles of visuality. And then on the second day, we look at um, the leadership component. This is the executive doorway, I call it. It's a doorway number four, if you know my ten doorways. And it talks about structuring in executive behavior, executive decision-making through visual uh, formats and um, also driving mechanisms. So it's about deciding and driving. And it's about uh, becoming, if you aren't already a very effective leader, then let visuality help you become it. We also do a smaller component on supervisory leadership, which in my mind is the other wing of the bird in the leadership um, arena. If I can really mix up my metaphor so that I've just embarrassed myself in the English language. So we want to have... Um, Executives being highly effective, we want supervisors to be highly effective, and visuality is the key to both of them. And, you know, I may do a series uh, after I finish the training series on the leadership piece. This is the new book that I'm writing, and I thought I was ready to write it about about four or five months ago, but I've been doing a lot of leadership work with companies and I'm getting more clarity and more examples that I think will help the writing. So I'm, I want to wait a little while, a little, a little while longer. So those are the two most important things that are happening for the rest of this year. Uh, our visual thinking seminar on Monday, December the 9th and our visual leadership seminar on Tuesday, December the 10th, both of them in Portland. We hope you will come. If you send three, the fourth person comes free. And if you buy both of them, you get a, about a two or three hundred dollar savings if you come for both of them. So we hope that's attractive and we hope to meet you soon. 
Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm going to be going to Dominican Republic for a week in um, in November to do uh, some on-site work with the wonderful textile company that I've been working with for now going on a year, where they're making a very, very important conversion in that industry. And I think they're doing it better than anyone, anybody can and anybody will. They're just really... Um, really taking it seriously and really uh, applying the resources and uh, getting a very deep grab. I'll be going to China, I found out, probably next spring. I'm looking forward to that. Lots of good work to do there. So for today's show, we're going to now begin, kind of pick up where we left off. Remember that we last time we met, we talked about the importance of supervisors, how to bring supervisors into the success of a visual conversion and you'll remember that it isn't what you might have thought it isn't that the supervisors actually take a front role they in fact take a behind the scenes role so far behind that their most important job is to not say anything to not do anything to not supervise during the training They still hold on to all their responsibilities as supervisors of production and operations. But during the training, they really take an invisible role. They uh, lead through questions only, and they allow the eye of the operator to come up. The eye meaning the individual power, the individual will, the imagination of the individual to come up by them stepping back. By When they step back, then the operator comes forward and doesn't get all of his or her questions answered, but instead learns to develop the ability to think and decide and drive themselves and to create visual devices. So we think it's a very, very good paradigm. And when we met last week, we uh, were going through the nine principles of effective training. We had uh, looked at um, getting... Getting supervisors on board, which was principle number five, and then principle number six, that supervisors kept keep a very low profile, which is what I'm talking about right now, in order for the eye to come up. So we're going to finish those principles as part of this show. We have seven, eight, and nine. Should take us maybe one one and a half segments, and then we'll move on to the very important question, <laughs> which is, how do trainers create visual thinkers? How do trainers make a contribution? What is training visuality about? What do trainers teach? What do you talk about? What do you explain? How do you get people to learn about and apply visuality so it becomes a strategic partner? Visuality becomes a strategic partner in the operational journey. How do we create visual thinkers and a workforce of visual thinkers? We're going to be focusing in this show on the operator level because we can best illustrate some of the key principles of that, the training principles, through operators, but this applies to everyone who is going through the transformation we call from being a visual being to being a visual thinker. So, and then also we're going to be talking about towards the end of the show, something that I say repeatedly, 
and I know you've heard me say it before, but I want to make sure you get it, get it, get it this time. Trainers have to do their homework or the learning won't happen. What is that about? Okay. So we're going to continue the series. I think we have another two or three. Honestly, training is so important. But we're going to begin now, right now, with the seventh principle of the nine principles of effective training. Remember you, I mean, you remember them, right? Principle one, inspire first, then inform. Principle two, smart, to start small. Don't start with a large group. Start small. Do your A cycle. Principle three, get everyone trained. No representative training. Principle four, make the training room safe. Remember, we talked about normalizing the room and asking people to talk amongst themselves in support of the I. And then, as I said a moment ago, principle five, get and keep your supervisors on board. Principle six, supervisors need to keep a low profile while they're on board. And now, principle seven. Okay, so principle seven is, it always takes longer. That's principle seven. It always takes longer. So our approach to implementation, and in this case we are doing operator-led visuality, or what I call work that makes sense, it includes teaching and adopting a set of behaviors that may be different from those that you may be used to from other improvement initiatives. Different behaviors for associates, different behaviors for supervisors, as we discussed, managers and senior management, and maybe even for you as a trainer. Making that switch takes time. It takes time to change behavior. Behavior is the extension of values and belief. It is, I should say, values and beliefs. Behavior is the foundation of your culture, your work culture, how people behave. That has to do with how they see themselves, what they believe, what they believe about you and me and them, themselves. So making this switch takes time. How much time? Well, you can probably count on, as a trainer, a minimum of two hours outside the training room a week for your own preparation, for your own tasks, for your own follow-up. Two hours outside the training room. You may be used to that. You may spend more. And the first cycle, now you have to hear me on this, the first cycle can take three to six months. It's called your A cycle. And the range is there because it depends on, well, a lot of things. The size of your training group, which we hope is small to begin with. Production demand, which may uh, vacillate. It may have uh, peaks and valleys. The amount of improvement time allotted to visual activities. Remember, we talked about improvement time many, many times in the last couple of years. Your own comfort level with training and facilitating and watchdogging. Employee turnover rate, supervisory turnover rate. Your company's own history of improvement initiatives prior to this launch. Has it been progressive or have there been sizable failures? And, of course, the, the, the other element is management resolve. So we'll pick this up. We're going into a break now. We'll pick this up after the break. I want you to think about these things. We are wanting you to be a brilliant visual workplace trainer, but you never do it in isolation. You always do it in the context of your company, the context of your own personal and professional development. And we're talking a little bit about that today. Okay, see you in a minute. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome back to the second segment of the show here at the Visual Workplace this week. And we are talking about how to become a brilliant Visual Workplace trainer. And as you know, we are on our, I think this is our first fourth show on this series, and we still haven't talked much about training content. What is it that we train? But we're going to do that today. First, we're going to finish up with our nine principles. We just went over seven, which was it always takes longer. It always takes longer than you think it's going to take because you have to factor in as a trainer so many uh, elements that are really beyond your control, elements that are also powerful, the demand of your customers, production demand, the demand of management, people who get sick, supervisory turnover, uh, oscillations, vacillations in management resolve, where management kind of gets a little bit uh, shaky about, oh, do I really want us to continue doing this? All of that is part of your, um, part of your terrain. Mm-hmm. All of it gets rolled up into the great catch-all called your company's level of organizational readiness. So the conversion that you seek will take time, and it always takes longer, more time than you expect, and you won't always be in control. So that part, you kind of have to roll with the punches, but you do want to do your first cycle and learn, learn about your organization. That's the other part that takes time why there is a span of three to six months for your first cycle. By the way, it doesn't mean it takes you six months and then you begin your second cycle. It just means that the first cycle usually takes longer because you're learning and, you know, you'll make mistakes, you'll have to recover. But the second cycle goes faster usually by remove a third 
And the third cycle and the fourth usually remove a half. At some point, you will hit a maximum, can't reduce this any further. But it's the first cycle that you really have to grit your teeth. You have to have your, your, your manager's support, your boss's support. Hopefully, they know that the first cycle is always the learning cycle for the trainer, and they'll go easy on you and not expect you to make them, to create um, something out of nothing. And managers, it's really important that you know that if you try to short circuit that first cycle and say to trainers, go faster, go faster, what's taking you so long, you will in fact be sending the message that their learning is not important and they will rush through it. And training, and especially for visuality, but for many, many other subjects, training Getting through the training is not the purpose. The purpose is learning. The purpose is learning. You're going to teach, and the other people have to learn. Your students have to learn. You get to teach, they get to learn. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up this theme again in a moment. Let's go to principle eight first. Principle eight is simply to keep going and keep growing. Learn. The very thing that we were talking about a moment ago. As you will learn, if you haven't already, the visual workplace process focuses on three outcomes. I talked about this probably a year and a half ago. And these outcomes may surprise you, but be aware all of it is good news. Three outcomes. The first outcome is that in the areas that you target for visual workplace improvement, you will seek to reach a level of showcase. You will seek to achieve a showcase level of visuality. By showcase level of visuality, you, it means that you have captured the principles and the practices of creating a visual workplace, and it is evident. These are evident. So that when someone walks into your area, they simply say, oh my gosh, I want one like that. Oh my gosh, how can I go back to my area when I know what my area should be looking at, looking like, should be functioning like? A showcase inside your facility will show other people exactly what, in this case, operator-led visuality looks like, how it functions, and it will inspire them to want one for themselves. Or if you're doing supervisor-led visuality or machine Machinist-led or maintenance-led visuality or quality-led visuality because what you see are the principles embedded and alive and functioning. So the showcase level is really important, and you keep your eye on that. If you train two areas or three areas or five areas simultaneously, which I don't advise, nevertheless, you want one of those areas to reach showcase level. And usually, one of them will rise to the top. There'll be all the right environmental and cultural factors in place, and you'll be able to keep chugging, and you'll reach showcase level. And that is the first outcome. The second outcome is important, as important. These are three equal outcomes, and that is to demonstrate that visuality has a direct measurable impact on the bottom line. You have to Demonstrate that. Otherwise, you'll lose your resources. You'll lose your funding. 
So you want to keep track of your KPIs. They will respond. It will take them a while to shift, a month, six weeks. But by six to eight weeks, you'll begin to see a measurable shift in your KPIs. You just keep track of them. They are not the way you measure visuality, but they are an outcome of applying visuality. You hear me? The KPIs will not show, will not be a direct measurable indicator of successful visuality. They will be a, their, their improvement will be a byproduct. We look for other measures and we will talk about those. We have talked about them. I'll just remind you of them now. We look for the utilization of improvement time. We're not talking about that much on this show. We look for the level of weirdness, I like to say, or peculiarity the inventiveness, the imagination that is demonstrated in the visual device, those two. And what we also see as a byproduct is a cultural alignment. But directly, we can't measure that. We can only measure its kind of calling card, which is the utilization of improvement time and the weirdness of your visual devices, as I like to say. The third of the three outcomes is that people are learning. They are learning about the process. They learn about how to implement. They learn what's easy, what's hard. They learn how to learn. They learn about people. They learn about themselves. They learn about themselves. We learned 30 years ago when we started to adopt these processes, and this is throughout the world, that if the process is worth its weight, then it will not only change the process, but it will change us in the process. That we are one of the byproducts of improvement. An improved us is a byproduct of an improved process. And one of the ways that happens is the improvement creates a little bit of margin so that we can become different people. We can grow. Associates learn in the training session and then there's an action assignment and they learn by improving their direct areas. They learn and they do and they learn and they do and they learn and they do. By doing meaning they act, something changes. You will not be the same person at the end of your first cycle of training, you as a trainer, as you were at the start. You will be more opened, more skilled, more willing, more confident and more ready to learn yourself more ready to learn as you move into your second cycle and your third. So, principle number eight is keep going, keep growing, learn. You have to learn that for yourself before you can model it for others. You have to learn the value of direct experience. You could call it going to Gemba and how that changes you and that how that is a positive. Let's go to principle nine if we can before the break. Principle nine is it takes a village. There is a tendency, a tendency for people like you and me who are, you know, um, could I say in love with improvement to get heroic in the wrong sense of the word. We are good hearted. We are determined and we often decide to carry on the effort solo on our own little shoulders. And not only is that not much fun, but it is usually not very effective. As a trainer, you need to partner. You partner with the visual workplace coordinator. You partner with the members of that team. You use them as a resource and a, and a, re, and a support. That's what they're there for. You don't overlook either. 
the incredible resource of your champion. You use your champion. He or she is not a figurehead. He or she is a resource. You get other folks on board as trainers, if only part-time, so you can have others who are experiencing what you are experiencing and can help you do the research and the uh, uh, development along with you. They are backing you up. Maybe they sit in as coaches on labor-intensive exercises like smart placement, which takes a lot of effort, and you need to have coaches out there, not just you teaching. They are people you are going to share the learning with, and if you can, share the teaching with. Share the experience. It takes a village. Visuality is, the when done, completely a total company conversion. So it will take a lot of the company to make it happen. So when two or three other people learn the training process, they can pitch hit, pinch hit for you. When the time comes, when there's an all-associate uh, um, operator steering team, this can be a splendid training and coaching resource for you. Extra capacity is particularly important if you have multiple shifts in your facility. Who's going to handle the third shift? Will you do that too? What about if it's a four or five shift operation? Will you do that too? And on the weekends? Okay. So if you are fully capable of handling the training solo, there are still many behind the scenes tasks that others can share in. If you ask them, think about it, please. Don't try to do this alone. You'll get tired, fed up, burnt out, and you will fail for all the wrong reasons. Spread out the enjoyment, spread out the work, and the rewarding satisfaction of participating in these important tasks that support visual workplace conversions. Okay? So, it takes a village. And that completes Principle 9. As soon as we get back from a break, because we're going to go into one right now, we will begin the new discussion for today which is, what is that training content? Now that I'm ready, what do I train? See you in a minute. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. 
If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the third segment of our show. Welcome to the Visual Workplace this fine autumn day. I am uh, really pleased to be moving now on to content issues because it's what I've been waiting for as well. We've taken a lot of time setting up the training room, setting up your understanding about what this job is about in terms of getting ready and having the right principles in mind as you launch and planning for that launch. Even though we haven't gone into some aspects of that planning, we've gone into enough that touch upon the trainer's role for you to know that you don't just dive in and kind of read from a book. That This is serious work and it's very rewarding. What you are doing is important. Keep doing it. But now we get a chance to ask and answer the question, but keep doing what? What are we supposed to be doing when we train? What is the content? What are we teaching? Well, in visuality, so I'm going to begin those answers. In visuality, what we're doing is, this is the big, big picture, we are creating a workforce of visual thinkers. When we train visuality, that is what you're doing. Because visuality is a language, a language that is embedded through visual devices into the physical landscape of work, we understand that People put those devices in place. It is a landscape created by the people who use that landscape, the people who work in that environment. A major, major outcome of the training is thinking, a new way of thinking. The trainer has to teach people how to think and think in a new way, using new principles, specifically These are principles of the senses, our five senses, which are information gatherers, and the other is the lever of motion. We use motion, moving without working, to help us find the missing information, and then we can eliminate it. And we eliminate the sources of motion, the information deficits, through solutions that are visual. When we put visual solutions in place, the information deficit disappears and with it the motion that that deficit caused. We are teaching people a new way of thinking. It's called visual thinking. And if you keep that in mind, you will not be tempted to just rush through the PowerPoint, the information, the content, and expect people to do things differently. You will understand that thinking, a change in thinking, takes time, but it takes more than time, and I'm going to go over those during the course of our discussion now. But first I want to point out to you, you probably know this, but maybe these words will help to drive it home. Teaching is not the same as learning. 
Teaching is not learning. You can do a great job teaching, but it doesn't guarantee that people will learn. You will never know if people learned until you see their behavior change, until you see their behavior align with the teaching, the principles that you taught, the principles and content that you taught. You see, learning is an internal process. You can only know it by its fruits. You can only know it by the changes. And in visuality, I'm going to group the fruits in four big baskets. One of those fruit baskets is the utilization of improvement time, that people are using time to improve. In visuality, again, if you've listened to the shows about the infrastructure, Improvement time is the way that we measure that utilization. People use time separate from production time and also separate from time for blitzes, event-based improvement. So that's the first thing. The second is the second basket, fruit basket, of how we know that learning happened. We taught, did they learn? is by the applications, the quality and, yes, the quantity of visual devices. I like them to be weird, and I like them to be plentiful. And by weird, I mean fabulously different, never seen on the planet before, so cool, outrageous, dazzling. That's the second way I know that people are learning. The third way I know is a little bit more subtle, and it takes a little bit more time to exert itself, but it's the shape and the quality of the work culture. You will notice people behaving in a different way and not necessarily related to visual. They will just simply behave in a different way. They will be better people, kinder people, more tolerant. Because as people gain control over their corner of the world, as the struggle begins to evaporate, more margin is created inside of each of us to become a person, the person we want to be, the person we've dreamt about, the person perhaps we are at home but not at work because there's too many pressures. So that's the third. First was utilization of improvement time, that it is being utilized. Second was the quality and, yes, quantity of the visual solutions, the applications. The third was the shape and the quality of the work culture. And the fourth is there's an increase in productivity quality, safety, on-time delivery, all rolled up. We often see a 15%, often, and often a 30% increase in productivity. You know, sometimes I'll say 3%, 8% because people get frightened if you, if you promise them too much productivity, they feel under a different kind of pressure. So in, in the textile industry, we're saying 3 to 8% but I'm looking for 15 to 30%. I'm not talking about 3 to 8% increase in your profit margin, although you will see it in the margin. Not just in revenue, but in margin. Not just in savings, but in margin. But those are the four. So those are the fruit that tell you that learning has happened. What you're responsible for is great teaching. To be a brilliant visual workplace teacher, trainer, You have to get results, and those results are expressed through a new way of thinking, visual thinking. 
And that is what you get. That is what you're teaching. You're teaching a new way of thinking. The thinking is the outcome for you. And whenever you teach people how to think a new, new way, you have given them and the company that they work for a very long-term capacity, a gift, a new competency. So we're going to stay on the value-add level in this show today. And so we're going to talk about training operators and value-add associates, whether they're in hospitals, engineering offices, or on the factory floor. And so just that's our framework. But like I said before, supervisors, it's the same. Senior leaders, executives, visuality is our workhorse, our friend, our great ally. It is an extension of our language, our ability to express ourselves and to be effective in the world. So in training operators, because that's going to be a focus today, what we're doing is providing them with a new paradigm of thinking. That is... What transpires in the session room or classroom, if you want to call it, is that people are learning how to think a new way. The trainer begins the teaching of thinking right away by requiring people to use the faculties of the mind. Do you remember my mention of the normalizing exercise? I talked about it week before um, the, the th- third show back. <laughs> when was that? About two weeks ago. When we, when we were talking about um, how do you uh, demonstrate respect. I begin every session, even if I have one one day and one the second day in a row, with a normalizing exercise. We talked about their use and their importance. It's kind of like an icebreaker, something that people can do at the very outset of a training session that will allow everyone to participate Everyone to be right already, and everyone to know that they're okay. All you have to do, the mechanics are just ask a plain question. What kind of visual devices did you see over the weekend? Did you see when you went to the mall? Did you see on the roadways? Those are three different questions. You ask a question or you give a challenge that everyone will have something to say about something that they already know that they will be able to identify with. You keep it open-ended. And what happens as a result is the purpose that you're doing it, which is you create parity. You create parity. This is the outcome that the textbook gives, but I say it a different way. By creating parity in truth, What you're doing is you're creating psychological safety. You're making it okay for me, whoever I am, to be okay today, right here, as I am right now. I don't have to change. I don't have to be anybody else. I'm okay right now, today, right here. Hmm? It does not have to be, by the way, You don't have to do your normalizing exercise exactly at the time the session begins, but it often is. But as you get more practice in this, you may decide that you want to wait, as I often do. I wait in order to get more of a flavor of what's going on. I wait and I don't do the normalizing exercise right away, right away. Maybe I want to confirm for myself 
that uh, what the state of the class is right now. Maybe there's been an accident. Maybe there's been a national tragedy or national celebration. I want to get a feel for the mood of the room, as you would say. So I may wait. If you're doing an eight-hour session, you can wait. Let it be within the first hour. If you're doing a two-hour session, then you want it to happen in the next 30 minutes, but you will have a normalizing exercise. Because if people don't feel safe, they will not be able to connect to their minds. And then, as we will ask them for in a moment, a higher level of their minds. They will not be able to think, let alone envision, let alone create. Creating and envisioning and even thinking takes guts. And sometimes people are simply afraid. Or maybe they haven't had any practice in it. Or maybe they haven't heard the sound of their own voice today. And so the normalizing exercise, and I suggest very strongly that you do it in pairs, not as a table, gives everyone a chance to speak. When you're in pairs, one of you's got to talk, the other's got to listen. That's already an active connection. Okay? So that's very, very important. When you train, you get the environment safe, bringing you back to this thing that I've repeated so many times. The next thing that happens is you give a feast for the mind. The mind is now available. There's psychological safety, and you're going to give a feast for the mind. And we'll talk about that after the break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. We are in the fourth and final segment of our show at the Visual Workplace today, and we are talking about, still talking about, how to become a brilliant trainer of workplace visuality. We're now in the content area, 
So we've gotten the mind relaxed and open through a icebreaker or what I call a normalizing exercise. We've asked people to talk amongst themselves so they can get used to the sound of their voice and they have a chance to formulate their thinking before they have to speak. This is so important. People have brilliant things to say, but if you don't give them a quiet moment to organize their thinking, if you just throw a lot of stuff at them, at them or you parade up there as the trainer and miss know-it-all, they're going to let you do that and they're not going to be thinking. They need time to find their thoughts just the way we do, just the way I do. But once that environment of parity and openness and ease is established at the beginning of your session, then you want to seduce the mind with a feast, a feast a feast of visual devices. This is where visuality as a paradigm and as a method has a tremendous advantage over every other kind of training on the planet. We as humans are by nature visual beings. We live in our senses. We already understand the visual world because the world is visual in order to help us. We are naturally interested. We are naturally gifted. We understand visuality because that is the way we retrieve information. And I'm talking about the infrastructure of our civilization. We know what we know when we know it through our senses. And so as part of the training, you show really, really cool visual devices, examples that have been selected because they hold the principles and practices you want people to learn. They are cool, but they are also compelling, and they are rich in layers. They not only please our senses, but they appeal to our logic, to our brain, to our mind. We learn through them, and we learn because of them. They teach us. A great deal of what is learned in visual workplace training is due to the quality of the examples of visuality that you show participants, people in your room. Do not throw this opportunity away. Don't just show them here. Look at this. Look at this. Use every device as an opportunity to teach. This is what I mean. When you show a visual device, and hopefully you've lived with that device long enough or you've been trained well enough, either way, to understand what you're looking at, you don't explain it. You purposely don't explain it. You might do one just to get people oriented. Here's a color code system by Raquel. But now, next time you say, tell me what this is. Tell me how it works. What's going on here? What's cool about this device? What, what's it about? People will have to enter the screen and start thinking, or if I, if I say this actually more correctly, continue thinking. And you keep your mouth shut, right? We've learned to do that as trainers. You say, tell me what you see, and you keep your mouth shut. And if things get very, very quiet, you say, okay, I'm looking for somebody who will make something up. Just tell me a story. Start anywhere. You start the story. You run out of steam. Somebody else will pick it up. Somebody starts the story, and they say, well, I see... I see these two colors match. Excellent. What do you think that means? 
Well, it must mean that they maybe they go together. Yeah, very good. And so what? What's beyond that? They go together, and what does that get us? Hmm? And people think like that. You do have to be confident that you understand the example that you are showing well enough to be able to identify the principles, the principles of visuality, the principles maybe even of brain function, which is something that I would suggest very strongly that you start reading about. The the uh, logic of color. In a field of color, the human eye will see yellow first. We know that. In a field of color, the human eye sees yellow first. You know that, you become a more confident trainer because you'll say, yeah, well, yellow. But what about the other colors? Oh, well, I see blue and I see green and I see purple. Yeah, yeah. Did everybody see yellow first? Did you notice that you saw yellow first? I want you to pay attention and notice the colors when there are more, when there's more than one color, the color you see first. And notice if it happens to be yellow when you see that. You just throw these provocative things out and people become engaged in their world. They become engaged in the world that already exists, that exists outside the training room, outside the company, in this very complex infrastructure we call civilization. Because visuality is used throughout our roadways, in all of our high-traveled places, airports, stadiums, movie houses, to help us along our way, to keep us safe, to increase our enjoyment, our experience of that. Use what we already know. I have so much more to tell you about, but I know we're going to run out of time today. I'm going to pick this up the next time, and I have two things to say. One is I'm going to describe a wonderful example, which I'll get, I think you'll get just by my describing it. And then we'll pick up the importance of principles and I'll give you uh, the two prime principles of visuality, visuality the next time. They're called prime one, prime two. But I also want to talk to you about doing your homework. As a trainer, you've got to do your homework. This is very, very close to my heart. So let me describe to you, (laughs) see if I can do this uh, on the radio. So did you know that there's an airport in Holland? It's called Schiphol. It's an international airport in Amsterdam that has a huge amount of traffic. It's like a crossroads of Europe that is known for, that has received awards for having the cleanest urinals in the world. The cleanest urinals, I should say, of all international airports. They've received awards for this. And when you look at a picture of the urinal, you will notice a little scratchy mark on it. A little, looks like at first glance, a little black smudge or dot that is slightly to the left and about four or five inches up from the drain. And if you look really closely, because I saw a picture, I did not go into the men's room, you will see a fly. (gasps) Wait a minute, but it's not a fly because it doesn't move. Oh, my goodness, it doesn't move. Is it stuck? Did it get stuck? Is it kind of just plastered there because somebody squished it? No. It's etched into the porcelain. There is a discernible picture of a fly right there, right there in the porcelain of the urinal. 
So I'm going to leave that with you to think about. And I want to ask you this question, just as though we were looking at a picture at a screen and you were in the classroom with me, and I'm trying to teach you something and you're trying to learn. What is that? How does that work? Why is it there? What's going on there with that fly etched into the porcelain five or six inches above the urinal, a little bit to the left? Why is it there? It's obviously intentional. It's an intentional visual device created to change our behavior. What's the change? (laughs) So there, I'm going to leave that to you. But you see, this is the way I'm teaching you, trainers. This is the way you teach. And you leave that. You go home for the day. You come back next week, and we'll talk about it then. I had a wonderful time with you today. Now I have to say very reluctantly that i got to go. So this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. And I am signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening. 